2: Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We have to have this debate in Congress about whether we should be in places like Afghanistan.
3: This Taliban has changed. We've got to hold them accountable. We'll see how they govern.
2: Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The infrastructure
4: bill will create jobs that we desperately need in this country, good-paying jobs. We need to go all out. a green, renewable economy and all of the infrastructure
2: to make that happen. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
5: Now it gets real. After all the big ideas and happy talk about infrastructure spending, the Biden agenda, lawmakers begin the debate over how to pay for it, or at least, well, some of it, through a proposed hike in the capital gains tax. That would be paired with a higher corporate tax rate, but not if corporate America has anything to say about it. We're going to look at the looming lobbying blitz coming up with Eric Newhouse, who handles policy and government relations at the National Association of Manufacturers. And as the House also tackles annual defense spending, that's starting today, too. Republicans try to use the withdrawal from Afghanistan against President Biden through the form of legislation. We're going to talk about that with Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick later this hour and the panel today. Our Sound On panel with Democratic strategist Kevin Walling and Jen Kearns, Republican strategist, former spokesperson for the California Republican Party. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. Get ready for the ads. After spending the last two weeks focused on Afghanistan, you may have forgotten President Biden's economic agenda, which dominated the summer. Infrastructure, the reconciliation bill, three and a half trillion dollars. Of course, paying for all of it remains a big issue around here. The House Ways and Means Committee, though, is beginning debate on proposed tax hikes in the capital gains tax along with the corporate tax rate. Republicans don't want any part of it, promising an intense lobbying effort and an ad blitz that will mean you hearing a lot more of this.
3: Where the state of our union is watching a tragic foreign policy disaster unfold before our eyes. Joe Biden is going to be the
6: face
5: of the failure of the withdrawal. He is the president right now as this is happening. Look at how uh, poorly planned this seems to be right now. Political ads on TV and online like that one from the National Republican Senatorial Committee to pair with actual lobbying groups opposing this range from the Chamber of Commerce to the Business Roundtable to the National Association of Manufacturers, and we're joined by the association's Eric Newhouse, now Senior Vice President of Policy and Government Relations at the National Association of Manufacturers. Eric, welcome. You represent some big names, some big companies from Caterpillar to Exxon to Johnson & Johnson. How do you and this whole group plan to make a dent in this debate? Well, thank you
4: for the opportunity to be with you, and I appreciate your your time. And let me start with you know, yeah, we absolutely represent those companies. We're proud to do so. But the backbone of our membership, our 14,000 members are small and medium sized companies. These are, you know, mom and pop shops that make something that ends up on something that ends up on a Ford 150 or a Boeing 737. And those small and medium manufacturers are really the backbone of our sector and, and, and their stories, their firsthand experiences saying to policymakers on both sides of the aisle, look, the two, 2017 tax bill created jobs, drove wage increases in the manufacturing sector, and drove capital investment in the sector. We need to protect that. Now's not the time to pull that away. Now's not the time to, to, to basically gut the growth that we're seeing in, in slow wage growth. And, you know, again, the story is very clear to us as we look at this. This isn't about politics. This is about straight policy. There's a choice policymakers have in Washington that's going to come to a head in the coming days and coming weeks. Are they for tax increases that are going to put Americans out of work or not? And, and that's going to be the debate.
5: We recently spoke, uh, Eric, with the, the big boss at your association, Jay Timmons, president of the National Association of Manufacturers, who made clear on this program that manufacturers actually want to see infrastructure become law. He said they support the bill, just not by hiking taxes to pay for it. Here's what he said.
3: The
4: reverse of what we just saw over the last three years where manufacturers invested and hired and and grew their wages, if the corporate tax is increased, then you're going to see all that disappear. And I don't think that's what the president wants. So uh, we've been very clear that we want to see some alternatives. And we think that Congress has listened to us and they don't want to risk the manufacturing renaissance going on right now in this country. So uh, we're hopeful that whatever this final package is, it's not going to raise taxes on business.
5: So, Eric, will your approach to this, will the NAM's approach to this include providing alternatives? How do you get to it?
4: Well, you know, on the infrastructure side, we've said to policymakers, you know, look, there's a bunch of different ways you can, you can look at, at paying for infrastructure spending. And, and to Jay's comments, we're we're very happy that that in a bipartisan way, the Senate, and hopefully quickly the House are going to move forward with legislation that will provide that infrastructure boost and do it without tax increases. When we get into the reconciliation question, $3.5 trillion, we begin the conversation in a very different way. We say, look, there's a lot in here. There's a lot that both sides of the aisle want to address and advance in order to make America a better place. Republicans have views, Democrats have views, but where we're focused right now is... You know, the heart of the conversation seems to be about how they're going to pay for it, and and our argument is very clear on this. You've got a choice. You can raise taxes and put manufacturing workers out of work. You can cut wages and you can cut investment. That's a mistake. So, you know, that's a conversation we're having right now. And 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 you know, at this point, you know, it's been a good conversation with both sides of the aisle. People want to hear us and want to hear our stories and want to hear our views.
5: So when you're the senior vice president of policy and government relations at the National Association of Manufacturers, how do you influence the outcome of this debate? Have you begun discussions already with lawmakers? I know you were in the throes of of a a large discussion about the bipartisan infrastructure bill. As we get into reconciliation now, are you hitting lawmakers on the phone? Are you making advertisements? Are you lobbying all of the above?
4: all the above i mean this is a conversation that we're going to have in with anyone anywhere anytime we possibly can and that's going to be a mixture of grassroots grass tops digital advertisements um, traditional kind of you know media plays Um, i'm anticipating we'll be involved with some advertising efforts and the traditional kind of shoe leather lobbying if you will and in in really driving that is really two different things. One, the very clear story and facts that we have that back up the argument that tax increases cost jobs. And the other argument we're going to make is, and really going back to my earlier comments about the small and medium sized companies, their stories can move policymakers. You know, you can break through a lot of, a lot of Washington nonsense and, and just buzz and get, get to the real heart of an issue. When a manufacturer with 35 employees comes to a policymaker and says, look, I live in your district, I live in your town, I live in your state, let me tell you what this really means for our community. And, and, and that story can really have an impact on policymakers because, again, it breaks through a lot of the nonsense in town.
5: Does the association support child care funding and expansion of Medicare? Some of the other things that we've heard about in this reconciliation bill, Free Community College of uh, universal uh, pre-K, are you cherry-picking any of these items? Because the lower these tax rates end up, the less will end up in the bill, the fewer number of initiatives will end up in that final bill.
4: Well, I think that's a It's a good question. I think that's a question more for policymakers than for us. I mean, we look at it through the lens of the manufacturing agenda is about competitiveness for manufacturing. It's about job growth for manufacturing and job retention, and wages for manufacturing. Policymakers can have a debate around what they want to do on on universal, you know, healthcare, what they want to do with expansion of Medicare for for dental care and vision and all the things that are on the table here. We're focused on the main thing. And the main thing for us is making sure manufacturers have the ability to be competitive in a global environment. And I know that that, that gets thrown around a lot and doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. Let me try to kind of clarify what I really mean by that. Competitive competitiveness internationally is really a conversation of where the next dollar invested is going to go. Is it going to go to the United States or is it going to go somewhere else? And our mission is to make sure that we make the United States as competitive as possible to make sure that the next dollar invested in manufacturing is invested here.
5: Democrats want to spend $3.5 trillion. That's what we hear on reconciliation. That's beyond the the, the $1.2 trillion of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, even though that's not all new money. We don't need to go through all of that. But we're, we're in the multi-trillions of dollars here. The tax hikes that are being proposed would pay for a little more than $1 trillion. based on the number crunching here at Bloomberg. It was a little more than $1.1 $1. $1 trillion. How much does the National Association of Manufacturers plan to spend to slow this down or to lower those numbers? Well,
4: I'm obviously not in a position to give you a specific number on that, but I will say this is going to take our full focus and our full weight I mean this is you know in addition to making sure the bipartisan infrastructure bill is enacted this is this is the main thing again and this is going to have our entire focus in order to make sure that our members have the ability to continue to create and maintain those jobs and and you know it's it's we've got a lot of members that understand this and, and want to be involved and have been great partners too, so far in this process. and I know they will moving forward.
5: You know, we're Bloomberg. I had to ask you for a number here, Eric, but I will I guess, uh, point I out the fact that you've done a lot of research on this, that a 28% corporate tax rate, as you pointed out, would would cost the economy 1, billion, uh, 1 million, that's with an M, 1 million jobs in the first two years. But even a lower rate, you say 25% would lead to massive job loss. Is there a number you're comfortable with? No. So, I mean, you know, let me,
4: we began the conversation in 2015, 16, and 17, leading into what, you know, was enacted into law in 2017 in the tax reform bill, arguing for 15%. Now, look, we came down from 35 to 21, made significant changes on the S Corp side. So, our view is, you know, 21 gets us roughly on average with our competitors in the OECD. We don't think negotiating with ourselves to say, "Well, if you go to 22, it's okay to lose this many manufacturing jobs and to slow growth this far." But if you go to 23, it's no, we're not we're not having that conversation. So no
5: hike, are they you, stay where they are.
4: Yeah, they, in best case scenario, they go down. Now I know that's not part of the conversation right now, but the conversation in Washington needs to be about
5: lowering rates, not raising rates. Did. Eric Newhouse, Senior Vice President, Policy, Government Relations at the National Association of Manufacturers. Thanks for taking that walk with me. We assemble the panel next. I'm Joe Matthew. Stay here. This is Bloomberg.
2: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We are watching the calendar
5: as lawmakers begin the work, debating President Biden's economic agenda and the proposed tax hikes that will help pay for it as we assemble our Sound On panel to talk about it now with Democratic strategist, former Biden campaign surrogate Kevin Walling now at HG Creative, and Republican strategist Jen Kearns, who's former spokesperson for the California Republican Party. Welcome to both of you. Jen, you heard my talk just now, I think, with Eric Newhouse from the National Association of Realtors. Will the lobbying and ad effort work to slow this debate or even change the direction of this debate on hiking taxes, or has the horse already left the barn?
0: Well, I think it does. You know, historically, it shows that, especially as we're approaching midterm elections, that where the Democratic Party in this. Uh, election season is going to be uh, very concerned about uh, having a bloodbath at the polls uh, as the the current polling is showing uh, could very well happen. Uh, It will be of great import to the White House and to the Democratic Party uh, to to pay attention to that fight. Um, And we know that uh, television ads and social media ads and lobbying campaigns do bring that home to roost as people look ahead to the 2022 midterms.
5: What's your thought on this, Kevin? The reconciliation bill, as it has been described, is essentially beyond the bipartisan infrastructure bill already passed. The Senate is essentially Joe Biden's campaign promises all rolled up into one when it comes to social spending, when it comes to child care, when it comes to human infrastructure, as we have uh, come to call it. How much of an interference will this new effort be in, in making that law? Well, Joe,
6: it's a good question. It's good to join you uh, and Jen. Obviously, this is going to be the most intense September. and You've covered a lot of Congress, Joe, that we've probably <laughs> ever seen in recent memory. Obviously, with the backdrop of this uh, reconciliation bill, as you uh, rightly point out, the president's uh, main focus in terms of human infrastructure, childhood tax credits, funding for schools, all of the kind of humanity aspects of That work. Obviously, uh, the leadership of the House and the Senate, Democratic leadership, has set September 15th, halfway through the month, uh, as uh, the deadline for their chairs to finish working up uh, that bill, that reconciliation bill. Uh, And then, obviously, you you have the backdrop of the Senate passed bipartisan infrastructure bill with that kind of temporary but but somewhat concrete deadline of September 27th. And that was obviously the the deal negotiated uh, or uh, announced by Speaker Pelosi, uh, and those moderate holdouts. Again, all this with the backdrop of the debt ceiling, now the complications of Afghanistan. You saw uh, the chairman of the Armed Services Committee in the House, Adam Smith, kind of uh, going pretty strongly against, as a Democrat, pretty strongly against the administration, uh, calling for some transparency, likely some hearings. Um, so obviously there's there's a lot going on, a lot of shifting dynamics uh, with all this happening. And with the hurricane, with the remnants that we're dealing with now, the president's announced trip that he will be there uh, later in the week.
5: Yeah, it's a madhouse, Kevin. But what's the Democratic pushback on this whole thing? We've got the industry uh, just now telling us that a 28 percent corporate tax rate means the loss of a million jobs. That's a pretty tough argument.
6: Well, sure. And the longer that the, the bill goes on in terms of negotiations, obviously, the president has said he wants it fully paid for. He doesn't want to add to the debt. So that complicates things, obviously, when you have to have those pay for's and running into the headwinds of, uh, the industry, whether it be the, the interview that you just conducted or other uh, uh, corporate interests like the chamber and, and things like that. So the longer this goes on, the more complicated it becomes in terms of that specific rec- reconciliation uh, package for sure.
5: So Jen Kearns, what's the answer? Less spending or different pay-fors?
0: Well, look, I, I think uh, you just categorized that this is a very complicated appeal battle for the Democratic Party and for the White House. So um, speed, kills, and these sort of things as the administration uh, looks to try to draw the attention away from the crisis in Afghanistan, um, I-, I think it'll be complicated to get Americans' attention focused on this. Uh, the jobs loss uh, numbers will be the most compelling uh, to bring to the attention of the American people. Uh, you know, the American people are still reeling from the COVID-19 crisis and uh, most importantly, the, you know, in Democrat-led states and in Democrat-led cities, those big blue cities like New York City, Los Angeles, where uh, people were harder hit uh, because of the Democrat policies on closures, um, we had a significant number. We had millions of people impacted. In fact, one of the numbers I'm watching uh, in relation to jobs where it would really sting further is uh, 2 million women left the workforce over the last uh, 12 months. Uh, due to the COVID-19 crisis and the ensuing lockdown. So certainly uh, those who are fighting uh, this tax hike, uh, I think the argument of more jobs loss would be the most compelling one at the ballot box.
5: Speed kills, says Jen Kearns. Jen, you're not the first person who said that to me today. What's your answer to that in our last minute here, uh, Kevin Walling? I remember uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Josh Gottheimer, who was holding up this whole thing, moderate Democrat, in the house with an op-ed the top line said time kills deals
6: <laughs> it's a good question uh, joe i mean i think jen partly is making the case for this human infrastructure bill uh you know she talks about the two million uh, women that have lost or left the workplace because of COVID. the vast majority of that is because they don't have adequate uh, childhood uh, care and coverage for their their kids at home because of whatever dynamics are at, at, at home so uh, putting more uh, resources in terms of billions of dollars uh, in terms of uh, childhood care and early childhood education, is one of the reasons to push, push that the administration will push forward and hopefully pass this human infrastructure bill.
5: Kevin Walling, agree Jen Kearns, they be back with us. I agree
0: with Kevin, except on the solution. Women don't want government funded programs, they just want to be able to get out there.
5: All right, I'm glad you got that in, Jen. They'll be back there with us for the full hour. We're going to talk again with the panel a bit later on. Up next, though, the House tackles the annual defense budget. We'll talk about it with Bloomberg Government's Jack Fitzpatrick. I'm Joe Matthew. This
2: is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.3.0, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew.
5: It's time to pay for our defense. We do this every year through the Defense Authorization Act. House Armed Services Committee is in that debate right now with a pile of Republican amendments aimed at hanging the Afghanistan withdrawal around Joe Biden's neck straight through the midterms. We'll talk about it ahead with Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick and the broader effort by Republicans to make this a painful midterm election season. The minds at Bloomberg government uh, with a great piece on the terminal today, the headline Republicans seek midterm advantage. From Afghanistan withdrawal. Indeed, as I read, America's withdrawal from Afghanistan is already playing a role in Republican efforts to win back control of the House and the Senate, with GOP campaign committees highlighting news coverage of the chaotic scenes at the Kabul airport and videos and other messaging. We got uh, quite a dose of this from the House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, who spoke yesterday. Here he is.
4: Never in my lifetime would I ever believe america would have an administration knowingly make a decision to leave americans behind whereas just two weeks ago the president promised this nation that he would not leave until every single american was out
5: and here we are with the debate beginning around the defense authorization act the house the house armed services committee starting that markup today and we're joined by Jack Fitzpatrick of Bloomberg Government and this very program, Bloomberg Sound On. It's great to have you here, Jack. Uh, I'd like to ask you just to start about the Defense Authorization Act, and we can go a little bit more broadly in what Republican efforts are here. But this is an important exercise annually to set spending for the Pentagon. President Biden proposing a little over $700 billion. Republicans and even some Democrats in that committee say they want more, adding another $25 billion, which I understand is likely uh, to pass but republican lawmakers are adding dozens of amendments that are specific to Afghanistan including a requirement for instance to detail the decision to leave Bagram Air Base how is this all going to come together they get all this done tonight early tomorrow morning
3: yeah this uh, this kind of markup takes a very long time there were more than 700 amendments filed a bunch of those will get winnowed out uh, because they're they're out of order for one reason or another i will say Overall, there has been discussion about Afghanistan, but I'm a little surprised that it hasn't dominated uh, the debate and, and turned it quite as partisan as you might imagine yeah. in this kind of markup. As you noted, there was the push for more defense money, uh, $24 billion above uh, what the president wanted. There actually were 17 Democrats who signed on to and ended up voting for that along with the Republicans on the committee. So we actually saw a little bit of bipartisan uh, agreement on defense policy. But yes, in a broader sense, uh, as we look toward the 2022 uh, campaign trail, the statements you're hearing from Republican leadership, Afghanistan is the the number one thing they're, they're looking to hit Democrats with. Uh, and I, I don't really see necessarily an end to that. It's a topic yeah. of conversation in this markup, and it's going to be significant uh, as they go forward with other bills relating to the military.
5: How come the, 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 the partisan Afghanistan stuff, as you point out, isn't isn't dominating this debate? I mean, we've got 50 amendments and a Republican leadership that wants to drive this home.
3: Uh, probably because there's so much in this bill. Mm-hmm. I hate to be anticlimactic, but there are so many different things <laughs> they're, they're working on. And they had disagreed for months over exactly how much, w- just what the basic top line spending figures should be for defense issues. That is a significant fight. It's going to continue to be a significant fight. There are other issues they're working on just on contracts, on contract transparency. It's hard to even sum up the number of things they're working on. So there's no one thing that is dominating this uh, bill other than when you get into the defense authorization and later into defense appropriations, uh, just the idea of how much are we going to spend on the military. And that ties into the Afghanistan issue, the broader history of the U.S. in the Middle East, and, and our, our issues, with, that, that's a huge question. Uh, and that's going to be a very, very difficult one to, to for them to sort out. And yes, Afghanistan has sort of worked its way uh, into being one of the central parts of that debate. But there are so many difficult things for them to get through on defense authorization and actually funding the military, uh, that it's, it's hard to pin it down, even on one major issue that is becoming a, a huge campaign issue. Yeah,
5: there's real work to be done here. Uh, more broadly, though, Jack, into the point of the Bloomberg government uh, story, seeking midterm advantage from Afghanistan withdrawal, Republicans, of course. Uh, the National Republican Senatorial Committee uh, calls it Joe Biden's agenda of abandonment. We're going to hear that a lot, aren't we?
3: Yes. Uh, if it's not that slogan, it'll be something else. As long as there are probably any people, certainly any Americans, and the last we've heard was it was around one or 200 American citizens left in the U.S. who wanted to leave. As long as there's anybody there who wants to leave, this is not going to be a story that goes away for uh, President Biden or any congressional Democrats on the campaign trail. The public polling, of course, is a little mixed. He has not gotten good grades for uh, how he's handled this. Yeah. But it's, we're still at a majority. If you look at the Pew Research poll that just came out yesterday, uh, a majority still agrees generally with the idea of leaving Afghanistan. So how does this play out a year plus from now? It's difficult to tell, but it's negative enough right now. So it's, it's an albatross for Democrats currently.
5: Well, as usual, you're pointing me right to the place I want to go uh, here, Jack. That's that's interesting to me. So basically, Republicans knowing Americans have a short memory knowing Americans wanted to get out of Afghanistan, have decided to remind Americans for the next year about the way this withdrawal went.
3: Yeah, because really there are two issues here. One, you can agree with the majority of Americans who say it's the right idea to pull out of Afghanistan, but you can still uh, blame President Biden and his administration for the really messy way they did it and the apparent uh, lack of information on the ground about how this was going to go, we heard from the president, we heard from the secretary of state, we heard from a number of people saying it does not appear that the Taliban is going to immediately take over, which they then did. Uh, so th- the question then is how much of a long term issue politically? The question is how much of a long term issue is that? Does it stick with Democrats for a year plus, or does that fade away and the broader issue of pulling out of the Middle East uh, become forefront on voters' minds?
5: Find the story Bloomberg.com or on the terminal Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick, part of the family here at Sound On. We appreciate it, as always. Let's get back to the panel next. We'll check traffic and the markets along the way. Kevin Walling and Jen Kearns are coming up. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
2: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
5: You know, they say members of Congress never stop running. After all, well, in the House, at least, they have to face voters every two years. Republicans plan to use the next 14 months, as we just discussed with Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick, to hit President Biden and Democrats at large over the Afghanistan withdrawal, something we heard more about today by General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff.
4: We in the military will approach this with humility, transparency, and candor. There are many tactical, operational, and strategic lessons to be learned.
5: As the National Republican Senatorial Committee calls it, Joe Biden's agenda of abandonment, we bring back the panel With Democratic strategist and former Biden campaign surrogate Kevin Walling, now at HG Creative, and Republican strategist Jen Kearns, former spokesperson for the California Republican Party. Kevin, I'll start with you this time. Does the Democratic Party have an equally strong message to push back on this for the next year?
6: Yeah, I think we do. Uh, You know, obviously, with the rescue package that the Democrats single handedly passed in Congress, uh, delivering all those benefits in terms of the childhood tax credit for middle class families, Obviously, hopefully, a uh, passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, this human infrastructure bill. Uh, and we know in midterm elections, like most elections, people care about domestic issues more than they care about international issues, aside from, you know, the election following 9-11. So, you know, I think Democrats have a strong message in terms of the domestic focus on combating COVID, economic relief, middle class tax cuts uh, that they can run on. Now, you know, the cards are set against Democrats. It's going to be an uphill battle. You know, Republicans just need five seats in the House. We have a 50-50 split uh, in the Senate. We know that the majority of uh, key districts are uh, that will be, you know, drawn are in Republican hands in terms of states like Florida and and, and Texas and uh, you know North Carolina and Georgia and others. So, uh, you know, the stacks uh, are, are, you know. Uh, fairly well stacked against the the Democrats, but I think they have a core message that will resonate uh, with voters in in less than 430 or so days.
5: And Republicans have history on their side as well here uh, as the minority party, uh, Jen Kearns. Talk to us about the strategy, though, to, to be hammering on Afghanistan for the next 14 months, knowing that Americans wanted to end the war in Afghanistan. Does this have staying power?
0: Well, that is the uh, $500 million question we're we're going to find out next year. Um, Look, it, it depends on how long this stays in the news cycle. Uh, and as you mentioned there before the break, how how many people uh, in America are still stranded in Afghanistan who want to get out? How long does that stay in the news cycle? Um, there are some other contributing factors we know for midterms that, uh, as you mentioned there, the uh, opposition party usually wins in the first term uh, in the midterm uh, contest of a, of a first term of the White House, um, with the exception of George W. Bush, uh, where foreign policy did play a role in that. Uh, George W. Bush actually benefited from his management of the war on terror um, just one year after the 9-11 attacks. Um, the first midterm elections for W. Bush actually produced gains of about eight Republicans in the House and two in the Senate enough to uh, take back control of Congress. But that is very rare. Um, you look at some other examples through history. Um, uh, George H.W. Bush was flying high on his foreign policy success. Uh, yeah. the, the foreign policy was ranked about six times more important than his economic policy performance after the 1991 Gulf War. But then that economic news snuck in and uh, his uh, no, new, no new tax pledges in was uh, thrown back in his face. And that was Flipped on its head. There certainly is enough time for this to get flipped on its head. Uh, I think there are three factors that play for the 2022 midterms quickly. Uh, the economy, foreign policies we've just discussed, and domestic policy. And by domestic policy, I'm not even referring to the infrastructure bill and taxes and, and jobs, although that plays a role. Um, I travel the country a lot, and I hear from people they are upset about the social domestic policy that the uh, progressive Biden White House has put into play: uh, critical race theory, uh, transgenders in in girls' locker rooms, uh, competing against girls for scholarships, and all of the things you're probably very glad you don't have to talk about on business radio. But those are going to be about a third of the conversation. So the foreign policy goes against Biden at this point. The domestic social policies go against uh, Biden. So I think really that magic card uh, that that magic card really is the economic news over the next 14 months.
5: You'd be surprised that we talk about around here sometimes, Jen. But how do you connect <laughs> the dots if they hang if we're focusing on Afghanistan with regard to that approach? How do you connect the dots to members of the House? It's not like they were legislating around that withdrawal or or is there a, a suggestion that they were absent in in not legislating it?
0: Well, look, you you could certainly use the absentia. You could certainly use their endorsement of Joe Biden in the presidential election, you know, in some regards. Uh, You know, people are saying, well, we never knew that um, this would happen. Well, you kind of did. You were electing a a man who was vice president uh, during the Obama administration when they had a dismal Arab spring. So um, in in some uh, terms of foreign policy, you do know what their record is in drawdowns in the Middle East. Uh, It happened in in Tripoli. Uh, It happened in Benghazi. It happened, uh, you know, when Yemen fell and became a rogue state. So, um, there are some, some little points in history where we can uh, refer back to. But again, that, that number, I think that, that is a very uh, precious needle to thread, right? Uh, The American people majority supported leaving Afghanistan. I don't think anyone thought that we should be there for the next 40 or 50 years. But the real key was how it was done. And I think, um, as we'll see some congressional hearings, uh, come out over the next 14 months, that could truly impact uh, the the way that Biden is seen in the 2022 midterms, and the way that those who supported him in the last presidential election might have that hung around their necks for the 2022 midterms.
5: I'd Love to hear your reaction to all of that, uh, Kevin Walling. Are are, are Republicans really going to be voting on on transgender bathrooms and, and critical race theory in another year?
6: Yeah, Joe, it's a good question. Uh, you know, if, if that's what Jen's hearing about when she's traveling around the country, critical race theory and transgender uh, youth sports we got to show her a better time out there in, in, in america uh because you know i think americans as i said before vote on domestic issues pocketbook issues especially in midterms elections they could give a crap about critical race theory for the most part they could give a crap about transgender youth when it really isn't an issue and again that's all good for party politics and base support for hardcore republicans but that's not what wins elections in november yeah, it's all about stoking fears and all that kind of stuff. And that, if that's the campaign Republicans have to, to run to win, they're pretty effective at doing that. But I think you're going to see Democrats campaigning on cutting middle-class taxes. If you've got kids under the age of 18, you had more cash in your pocket. Democrats want to make that a permanent fixture in, in Washington, D.C. And, yeah, there will be questions, obviously, in transparency with regards to Afghanistan. And should we have hearings? Absolutely. Should we call into question the intelligence, military leadership? Absolutely. But, again focus on domestic issues coming out of COVID, knock on wood. And we're not out of the woods there yet. 160,000 new infections every day, over 1,300 or so Americans dying. Nine of the 10 uh, states that we're seeing this largest increase are states that voted for Donald Trump, not to put party politics on the COVID case. But I think there's a real strong case that Democrats will make, especially during this crisis that's still ongoing with COVID. We're not out of the woods yet.
5: Not every day I have the former spokesperson for the California Republican Party on the line. And again, that is Jen Kearns, our Republican strategist on the panel today. I'd like to ask you both about the recall election in California because it is looming. And we understand that Gavin Newsom, of course, Governor Gavin Newsom, whose career could be in jeopardy right now, is looking at polling numbers and finding out that not everyone even knows there is a recall election coming. And so there's another ad spending blitz that's going to be hitting California in just a moment. Voto Latino has a million dollar ad buy coming here. Jen Kearns, what's your take on this? Do people actually know there's a special election on the 14th of September?
0: Well, most Californians, like most Americans, are just trying to survive at this point, having uh, suffered through the COVID lockdowns at the hands of Gavin Newsom. Uh, But those who do have a strong voter intensity, they have strong feelings about it. And those were the over 1.4 million people who signed the petition for recall. Um, If that level of intensity persists, through September 14th, which I think that it will, uh, Gavin Newsom is going to have a very difficult time at the ballot box. Um, You know, Gavin is one of those uh, politicians who has done a lot of things over the decades to serve himself, um, he has not really been a, a party builder, so to speak. You know, he had to step aside, for example, in 2010 and let Jerry Brown, who was very beloved in the Democratic Party run. He also sort of stepped aside and let Kamala Harris run for U.S. Senate. So Gavin isn't really this like died in the wool Democratic hero um, out there in the way that, you know, Jerry Brown and Kamala Harris were in the state of yeah. California. However, it is very tough to beat Gavin Newsom. Um, I Think I'm the only press secretary, Republican or Democrat who has ever beaten Gavin Newsom at the ballot box in his 28 uh-huh. years of uh, political career. Uh, it's very difficult to do. He is a political Houdini. He always pulls out a victory at the last minute. But I think the fact that this is the only the second recall in California state history, the first one was uh, Gray Davis. Uh, yeah being taken on by governor arnold schwarzenegger we have another personality in this race um, larry elder who has sort of that schwarzenegger bomb throwing personality that people like um, the grassroots know him for 20 years as a, a popular talk radio host in los angeles they have a very good shot at, at doing this typically historically speaking when californians sign on the dotted line to put a ballot initiative uh, on, on the on the ballot it typically does succeed so my odds for the recall is it's more likely to succeed than not all right
5: this is your take from jen kearns who was once press secretary for the california republican party thanks as well to kevin walling hg creative democratic strategist on the panel this is bloomberg sound on i'm joe matthew